Amen. Every time I watch that video, I feel like, you know, it's, it's life. It's real life. Every day we try to get a little bit better, but there's some days that we're like, are we really doing this again? We're going to go through this again. But uh, God called us to a better life. He promises us a better life. The scripture says that uh, God can, Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us abundantly. Or one translation says to give you the better kind of life. And so the idea here is not that we're better than anybody else. Oh, we're now we're a Christ follower and a Christian. Look at us. We can be better than other people. But the scripture does mention things like we're the head and not the tail. And so there is ways that when you follow the, the, the principles and the, and the promises that God put in your life, you can be better and your life can be better. And so we've been talking about it this month. And then obviously today uh, is Father's Day. And so we're going to build up fathers and we're going to honor fathers. And so uh, I want to share this sermon to you in a way that I hope is pivotal. I hope in your life you're going to be able to look at 2016 Father's Day, say that's the day that it changed. That's the day that I left there going, hey, man, I was so inspired and so encouraged. It's too bad that in culture, uh, one of the great things, see, the enemy can't create anything. It's not like he can go, hey, here's this bucket of sin. Now go get involved in that. He has to take what God intended as great and twist it. That's all he can do because he's not a creator. God's the creator. And so what he does is God created you to be men who are fighters and victorious and winners and leaders. And what he does is he says, hey, let's make them losers. Let's make them not fighters. Let's make them down on themselves. Let's make comedies and, and shows and things, make men out to look stupid. Let's make them down here because all he can do is twist things, right? So he deflates what we are really called to be. But we're going to be a people that say, no, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a man of destiny. I'm a man who God created me to be a leader. Amen? The first thing he did in a man was say, hey, I've created you. I've made this place for you. Now go be a leader of it. Right? The garden. Name those things and put that in place and lead this. Then he was given a helpmate. And so all these great things were set up for men to be winners. Amen? I mean, it's literally like we're going to do so much winning, we're going to be sick of winning. Right? You ever heard that before? Some brilliant guy said that, I think. But anyway, the scripture says this, that about men, there's a promise about being, and we'll get to it in a minute, but about men, you were created to win. We were created to fight. And the scripture says this, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So the battles that we face are not really with work and job and career. It's about the things that's trying to happen behind that that we don't see. It's the bitterness that creeps in. It's the frustration. It's the pride. And it's, the, it's all the things that we battle because we're in a battle. We are in a battle. And that's what the scripture says. But it's not against each other. And it's not against bosses and all these different things. But we're in a battle to live out that victorious way that God called us to. And so there's no way that you can look at being better and being a fighter and being a winner than without looking at David, King David, who we know slayed Goliath. And so today we're going to take a look at some principles. I got some very practical points uh, that we're going to lay out about how David showed us how to be giant killers. You are called in your life not to wrestle against flesh and blood. You're not called to, and we'll use some examples of that actually happening because it's Father's Day, so we get to talk about blood and guts and things like that. But what it is, what we're talking about here is you are called to be giant fighters. Not, hey, what's the little amount that I can get away with? Tell me the least that I have to do so that I can just get by and everyone stays happy. No, we should be people with our chest out saying, hey, where's the next giant for me to fight? Amen? And so we're going to take a look at how God designed that. So you see in Samuel chapter 16, David gets anointed as king. He's called out. He's going to be king of Israel. That's on his life. 
But then you see a little bit later that his dad says, hey, David, why don't you go bring your brother some cheese and bread? Over here, I just got called king, anointed to be king. And then over here, you're calling me to go deliver cheese and crackers. He's, you've heard me say this before. He was the first pizza boy ever. Like, hey, go take some cheese and bread down to your brother's. He's the first delivery boy. But notice this about David. He did it. So the first point that I want to point out, if we're going to be giant fighters, number one is you will never find an unsubmitted giant fighter. You want to be somebody who slays giants. You want to be somebody who accomplishes great things for the kingdom and in your life and in your family. You have to be a person of submission. Now, that eliminates a lot of people, if we'll be frank. If we can be honest, that eliminates a lot of people. Because you can't take out giants without leaders in your life. Amen? The problem with our culture is we have I everything. I custom this. I custom that. Everything is so custom that we've eliminated this idea of unity and teamwork and leadership in our life. You get into your car. You put the key in, and it customizes it to your own seat. Why? Because everything's about me. But God created you to be in unity with others, and it's also important for us to have leadership in our life because giant killers are submitted people. Amen? If you aren't under authority in areas of your life, what you are is in rebellion. Amen. And so we say, well, you know, I don't, I get it. I'm, you know, and I'm this and especially young leaders in ministry. Well, I've read this and I know all this and you have something good to say. You can say a lot, but you, you're not under any kind of leadership. You're not under any kind of submission. You're not in any, you got something to say. You may even have something to do, but if you don't have authority in your life, you're actually just somebody with something to say in rebellion. Amen. Are we good? Are we okay? Sorry, I'm excited. I'm passionate. We're giving away great grenades later. Like, I'm going I'm to blow some stuff up. We're talking about fighting. So you have to be in submission. You have to have leadership in your life. You have to have people. Scripture says that there's wisdom in counsel. You have to have people around you because there's wisdom in that. And the problem is a lot of people mistake authority and submission in their life as just finding people who are in agreement with them. And that's different. You can go on the internet and find any idiot to agree about any kind of anything, right? I mean, if you go on the internet and start looking at, like, what in the world are you in agree? That's insane. Just because you have people in you that, around you that agree with you doesn't mean that you have good structural leadership. Amen? And so it's important. Don't just look for people that are going to cheerlead any old dumb thing that you're set out to do. You need to find wise people that you surround yourself with. Amen? Obedience. This is good. Obedience isn't obedience until submission is required. It's not obedience until you disagree about something. Because otherwise you're just in agreement. Oh, I've come to the church and I'm serving and you're just walking together in agreement with the pastor. But then over here he says, hey, I'd like you to do this instead of that. Could you lead this instead of that? And then all of a sudden agreement stops and submission and obedience is required. Obedience and submission doesn't happen until there's a disagreement. Then what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to submit and I'm going to be obedient because God put leadership in my life. And I'm not just talking about the church. I'm talking about on your job. You're not under submission if you're just in agreement with somebody. It's different until submission is required. Does that make sense? And so jobs and, and anything that we walk in, giant killers, giant fighters are people who are okay submitting to the leadership process. Amen? Number two. You have to be disciplined. Giant fighters and giant killers are disciplined people. The scripture says that he arose early. 
meaning he got up, he was disciplined. He, he got up in a place. And notice this, if he wasn't on time, he would have missed Goliath. You want to be someone who takes down giants? You've got to be disciplined enough to even show up on time. Now, that's not any church people, but I'm just saying. Some people I've heard in different places are late to stuff. But what I'm talking about is not necessarily getting up early because I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. But what I'm talking about is he was disciplined. He made what was important the first thing in his life. What in your life do you need to be disciplined enough that you make sure it's at the front of your life? Amen? Disciplined people make the important things the front of their life. And that's what David did here. He said, hey, I got a call. I got an assignment. I'm submitted. And I'm going to make it the first thing that I do. Amen? So priority was his first thing. Proof. Here's the deal. I'm not a morning person. And we've been building a motocross track. As you heard me say, we had a bobcat and we're digging up all this dirt. And like, I'm still, you hear this sniffle is because that's um, dirt and mud draining out of my nostrils at this point. So I woke up with like mud coming out of my eyes and I was like, is there a sermon in here? Do I need to like do a display of something? Like he used mud to heal my eyes. You guys are ridiculous. (laughs) Just trying to have fun. You guys are so like, I don't know. Just preach the word, pastor. Stop telling me about the mud in your eye. <laughs> Whatever. I don't want to be your friend either. I don't even care. But you know what I did yesterday for a passion of mine? I like dirt bikes. I like riding dirt bikes. So you know what I did for a passion of mine, which is ungodly? This is sin. I got up yesterday before the sun came up. I know. I repented later, but I did it so that I could be at my bobcat by sunrise so we could start moving dirt. Why? Because proof of something being important to you is how you pursue it no matter what the cost. So many people say, well, I care about it. Well, I got a passion for it. Where's your proof in it? Where's your pursuit in it? Where's your obedience in your life to be able to get to that? That's for somebody else. Raising godly kids, prove that you want to raise godly kids. Make the sacrifice, pursue it, be passionate about it. Read books about it. Be at church every time the doors are open and make sure they're getting filled. Amen? Number three, giant fighters refuse to stay down. The scripture says when David got to the valley where Goliath was, the scripture says that it was a low place. And the way that it worked was Goliath was up there and they were at a valley down here called Judah. And when he looked up at Goliath, his problem seemed magnified because he was in a low place. So many times in our life, we get to a low place and the problem that we're looking at looks a lot bigger than what it really is. But if you can get right perspective and positioning on it, you'll see what its right size is. Amen. So he's looking at that going, man, that thing is massive. Look at that giant. Some writers said that it was up to, he was up to 15 feet tall, but those writers were from a perspective of the low place. He was really more of nine feet when they did the measurements of his armor and stuff. The giants will come at you when you're at your lowest. You get to a low place in life, you better know that the giant is coming. So what you need to do is you need to be in that valley and say, I'm in a low place. I need to go get some leaders that I'm submitted to, to call me into this, to make sure my priorities are right so that I can get the right perspective on this giant and slay him. Amen. And that's what men are great at. Let's get some teams together. Let's move some dirt in a bobcat. Let's do some stuff. Let's break some trees. Amen. All you hippies in here, don't even worry about it. <laughs> but giants, giants come when you're in a low place. But God's called you to be people who, when you fall 
and I have fallen. That's why I get passionate. I've been knocked down. I like people that are knocked down. If you haven't fallen, you're never going to find an unscarred champion. You need to take some hits. You need to bleed a little. You need to be people who get knocked down. But that's why the scripture says, even if I fall, I get back up. Seven, I keep getting back up. Because people who get up are champions. People who don't stay in the low place are giant killers. I was, uh, I'm a yard guy, so I like mowing and, and keeping nice grass and whatever. And so uh, I mowed, and uh, gosh, I went and got my little boy, uh, Charlie, and he's one, and he just learned to walk. And I'm about to let in a big secret to you guys. Some of you might leave over this and think it's really weird, but that's fine. Uh, so I went and I got him, and I said, I just like playing in the yard. And he just started to learn to walk. So one of his favorite things to do is to just run, and then he just throws himself on the ground. I mean, it's weird. You think he's going to be hurt, but he's not. So he's doing that baby walk, and he's running. He throws himself on the ground. But just as hard as he throws himself on the ground, you know, like a little kid, like a little one-year-old, you know how they try to get back up, and it's butt up first. You know, there's like, oh, and they're putting their butt up first, and they stand up. Kind of like some of you now that you're older. You're like just doing it on the other side of life. But, uh, but anyway, so he's doing it. But he worked so hard at getting back up. He loved to fall down and he loved to get back up. He loved to fall down and he loved to get back up. And I do this thing that you're going to think is weird. But I throw prayers at things. Scripture says that you should pray without ceasing. And so we all think like, oh, I just going to sit and pray in this room all day long. But I throw prayers at things literally in my mind. Like I'll walk past Fred or I'll walk past somebody and I'll throw a prayer over him. So for me with Charlie, he kept falling, get back up, falling, get back up, falling, get back up. So I threw a little prayer over him. I said, God, let, let that be on his life. Let that be about him, that he has this drive to, when he falls, he quit, gets back up. When he falls, he quit, gets back up. Let that be a part of his lifetime, that man, no matter what happens to him, I'm going to be so quick to get right back up. Uh, Vanessa uh, is our children's director, and she's got uh, a little guy, Gray, who's probably three and a half now. Uh, but about a year ago, when she first started working here, uh, he would come into the office. And, you know, we all just are new to each other, and, and, uh, and, and that's their first child. And so, you know, you're learning parenting and all this stuff. And so, you know, you could tell that she would get, uh, not frustrated, but, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, my little guy's being funny. And uh, he has so much zeal and tenacity, and, and so he would run in the hall, you know, he would run and play in the offices, which we love, our kids uh, were doing it too, you know, uh, the best thing you can do is have your kids in the house of the Lord, especially when they see you serving, amen, we shouldn't tell our kids how to serve, we should show them how to serve, amen, and so uh, he'd run in the hall, and he'd run, they'd play, and, and she'd be like, oh, I gotta, he can't be doing that, he gotta, and I just loved it, and, uh, and I'd throw another prayer, because what's great about Gray is he runs with all this vigor, I wish I had a video but he runs with all this force and he runs, but he's got this smile on his face. And so he's just running into life with this smile. And it's like, God, I throw a prayer. God, make sure that Gray, his whole life just runs into life with just the best smile. Let him go into atmospheres with this zeal and this passion and this vigor and this smile that never leaves him. Amen. And so no matter how you fall, no matter whatever, just keep speaking those prayers. Get from a place where you are. Amen. Are you with me? So the scripture says, David, he shouted from a low place. He literally starts shouting back to the giant in his life from a low place. And the scripture talks about how that valley 
was actually Judah's valley. And Judah means praise. So what the enemy was trying to do, he was trying to replace the place of praise with a place of fear. How many of us in our life have places of praise that the enemy has tried to infiltrate with places of something else? I've tried to take your praise. I've tried to take your, but praise and worship is our advantage. Like what Amy was saying. It's our advantage. You know what they're going to do tonight in the NBA finals? They're going to crank up the audio and they're going to blast sound in there. And all the screens are going to say, get louder, get louder, get louder. Why? Because noise and volume and praise changes the atmosphere. Amen. It's called home court advantage. Unless you're in Cleveland and it's game six, you also get a little bit of referee advantage. But that's just the perks of, that's the perks of having the king. But it changes the atmosphere. How many would agree? How many have come home and you've heard negative, negative, negative? What do you want to do? You want to run. Who wants to be in that atmosphere? So he understood when you're in a low place, you praise. When you're in a low place, you get louder. You don't get more negative. You get more, amen? Because there's power in that. He said this, you come with a sword and shield, but I come in the name of the Lord. I come with praise on my mouth into this low place, a place of praise. Number four, point number four, you have to remind yourself of the reward. You have to remind yourself of the reward. Did I give you point three? Okay. (laughs) Point number four, you have to remind yourself of the reward. Read the scripture two times he asks different people, what's the reward if I kill this guy? What's the reward? It's important for you to have a vision in your life. Why? Because you can remind yourself what's at stake. When you're tempted, when you're frustrated, when you feel out, you have to remind yourself what's in it for me. They said, well, you get, you're going to be rich with money and you're going to get to marry uh, the daughter. And then you're also going to be tax-free living. And so he keeps going around saying, you know, sounds good to me, money, honey, and no taxes. Like, I, I'll, I'll kill that. I'll take a shot at it, you know? And so three times he says, hey, what's in it for me? What, what's the reward here? Many times in your life, you have to have a plan. You have to remind yourself what you're called into, especially when you're raising kids as a dad, because when the kids are trashing your house and the kids are trashing your cars and they're spending your money and they're taking up all your energy and they're ruining your sex life, You need to remind yourself, you guys are, that doesn't happen to any of you. That's surprising. (laughs) I'm being real. At the end of the day, you got to remind yourself what it's about. It's worth, I'm in all the, it's, I'm raising godly kids. God has blessed me with these gifts of children that I'm raising to be giant killers. Amen. Point number five. Giant killers, giant fighters don't fake it. They don't fake it. Saul said, here's my armor. Here, put on this armor. You can use my armor. And David said, no, I got my own set. I got to do it my own way. I can't pretend to be something I'm not. I can't be one way on Sunday and a different way throughout the week. I can't be one way on Sunday and a different way on Facebook throughout the week. I can't be one way like this over here and then this way on Friday night. I have to be the way that God created me and the way that God has set me to be. And I'm sure the enemy was like, wait a second, think of the badgering, think of the bantering. Wait, you're going to reject that armor when all you got over here is a little sling and some stones? As far as weaponry of that time, literally David went into that fight with a BB gun. Of its time, that's what he had. 
of a shepherd boy, he had the least of artillery. Take that little sling in there. So over here, he's got the option of great. And then over here, he says, no, I need to be comfortable in the way that God made me. I'm not going to fake who I am. Somebody say amen. So Saul says, why should I let you fight? Why should I let you do this? And his answer was, because there was a night in the dark when nobody was watching. And I was up praying. Really what he was doing, he was killing a bear. He said, there was a time at night where I was up and nobody was watching and I killed a bear and I killed a lion. What he's saying is I paid the price in private. Therefore, I'm prepared for my giant moment. Many of us want to make sure we look real good in front of the giant moment, but it's the paying the price in the dark when no one's looking that's going to get you to your giant. Amen? So he didn't fake it. He was legit when no one was looking, and it made him legit before the giant when it mattered. Amen? Pray the price. Be who God called you to be. God can do more with what he gave you than you trying to be somebody else. There is a reward of having character when nobody is looking. Proverbs 20 verse 7 says, Righteous men, when righteous men walk with integrity, children are blessed after them. When righteous men walk with integrity, their children are blessed after them. How do you want to bless your children for generations? Be a man who walks in integrity even when nobody's watching. Amen? Point number six. Giant fighters are determined. Scripture says that he took five stones. Why did he take five? He needed to hit him one time. He took five because he knew that if he missed, he was going to keep going. I tried my best. Well, sorry, God, it didn't work out. Probably shouldn't serve anymore. Probably shouldn't. I tried to reach out to that person and they rejected me. I should probably stop. I threw one stone. No, he went there equipped with what it takes to be able to make sure he can take down his giant. Amen. He brought five stones. What's interesting is he used his past battles for victory, for his victory. Here's what he did. He probably knew what it took to take down the bear. All right, if I miss, I got this, and I got, here is my window. He used his past victories to determine what he's going to do in this battle. Many of us use our past failures to determine why we're not going to fight this battle. Instead of saying, well, that one time I did that, and now I shouldn't do it. And, uh, no, you need to use the battles that you've been in previously to help you advance what you're called to now. Amen? Yeah. I'll close with this last point. Point number seven. Is he brought victory home. He brought victory home. The scripture says that he hits Goliath. And, of course, you have to remember... Both sides are, are watching. Literally, people, cities, I mean, people, tribes, were on the line here. So just think of the audience in this scenario. So scripture says he hits him. David goes down, or Goliath goes down. David doesn't have a sword. But just imagine this scene. He walks up to him. Now, put yourself in that situation. Everyone's going crazy and there's valleys, so it probably was stadium effect, layers of people, and he's down. David is approaching him, which he did it with one BB, right? Just nailed him with the... But imagine this. Here's what he does with his giant. If it was me, I would have walked right up on top of him. 
And when you're standing on your giant, you're pretty happy about that, right? And he takes that sword, if we can call that thing a devil in his life, and he stabs that sword straight through his neck. And I'm going to be bloody and brutal and honest because it's Father's Day and I can get rated R with it, amen? But if that's me and I'm standing, because you remember David or Goliath came out every day and started talking mad trash. I'm here to defy the armies of God. And I'm sure there was excessive profanity in all of that at that time. Coming up, calling out God, calling out David. So if I'm David, I'm standing on my enemy, driving that sword and I'm twisting it. I'm having fun with it, right? Can we be real? Scripture says he cuts its head off, cuts its head off, puts it on a pole and takes it home, takes it home. Now you got to remember nine feet tall, probably very bearded, long hair, bloody, nasty, been laying in the dirt. He takes that ugly thing on a pole, puts it in his home and says this, I have victory over my giant, even in my home. We like to get victory here on church. Oh man, it felt good. I felt victorious at church. But what about at home? Have you killed your giant in such a way that in your home you've stuck that thing there? You know what I'd be doing? I'd be doing in my town. Hey, everybody, come look at this. Have you seen this thing that I've defeated? Come see that I've killed anger. I've killed unforgiveness. I've killed alcoholism. I've killed this addiction in my life. Come see how nasty this thing's looking because I've killed it so good. Who's with me? But you know what we do? We justify why giants should stay alive in our life. Well, it's always been in the thing, generation. And we, well, you know, it's just, I'm working on it. And well, and we just play with these giants. We keep them alive. The scripture says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy us. If somebody came to your home to kill, steal, and destroy you, how many know you would defend yourself and you would fight that thing off? Too many times we let the, oh, the thief's coming to steal, kill, and destroy through unforgiveness and selfishness. Won't you come right in? Come live in my home. Come on, addiction. Come on. I'll make an excuse for you. I'll make a little excuse bed for you. I'll make a little place where you can be happy and I'll make sure you're taken care of and I'll let you live in my lifetime. No, we need to be a people who say, uh, no. The scripture says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. We ought to have a standard in our life against things that come against us. If I can be really blunt, hey, hey, you're coming in here to steal, kill and destroy. Hell no, not in this home because we're the body of Christ. And we aren't going to accept this kind of stuff in our homes. I'm sick of addiction. I'm sick of broken marriages. Hell no. We're the body of Christ. And the scripture says that the gates of hell will not prevail against us. So you can say, hell no, not in my home. Hell no, not over my kids. And I get passionate about it because you all say, everybody says, oh, we want real church. We don't want to play games. Well, let's talk like real church. Why are we playing patty cakes with giants? They should be on a pole in our home with their heads cut off. It's the only way we win is when we battle the spiritual darkness, not brother and sister. We've made so many of these battles that you were wired to fight against one another, brother and sister. Well, you this and you that and you that. Let's deal with the spirit behind it. 
How many of you prayed more for Orlando than you've posted about it? How much time have we posted about stuff? We need to pray behind it more than we post about it. Amen? Look, I'm all for posts and standing and taking a stand and doing it in love. And I am not looking down on anybody who does all that. That's great. But how much more should we be covering the spiritual side behind it and praying behind the things that are behind it? Amen? The gates of hell will not prevail against the body of Christ. When we raise up a standard that says, oh no, the spirit of God lives in here. And that's not allowed in my home. And I'm not saying we judge. We all sin and fall short of the glory. Every week we mess up. But we got to stop making beds for poor things when we should have giant's heads dried up, shriveled up, cut off. Amen? Amen?